securely fastened. Keep your hands and feet inside the car at all times. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride. Bass Edge Radio is ready to roll. Bass Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. Protect your boat from harmful rocks and road debris with KeelGuard Keel Protectors, the industry's first do-it-yourself keel protector. Check them out at KeelGuard.com. Interestingly enough, this episode's Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight brings us back full circle from two short years ago as we chat with the 2014 runner-up of the FLW Forcewood Cup. Let's get this show on the road, Kurt. know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerfold is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerfold deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerfold won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerfold, swift, silent, secure. Visit Powerfold.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Well, Aaron, here we are. Dude, this is the absolute toughest time of year to catch a bass, is it not? Uh, yeah, but of course, you know, you compare my record, you might look at other months as well. But yeah, no, as far as I'm concerned, you look at September fishing, and, and my mantra has always been when people are talking about, you know, the difficulty and some of the challenges that we're faced with as anglers, it almost seems that regardless of where you go in the country, September fishing is one of the most difficult months. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, one thing we've talked about in prior episodes here on Bass, Bass Edge is Bass Gold, an invaluable tool that you can log on on your computer online. Although the fishing is so tough this time of year, Bass Gold shoots you in the right direction real quick as far as some techniques that will generally help you catch more fish on bodies of water this time of year. Yeah, no question, Kurt. I mean, we're dealing with several factors, and I think that's the role that Bass Gold in, in pointing us in those directions you know, plays as an angler, you know, time is very valuable. We have limited time to invest into our fishing and certainly dealing with multiple factors. You know, the thermocline is moving, the days are getting shorter, we have the fall turnover coming up. So a lot of variations that's going on and certainly look forward in upcoming episodes. We're going to be talking more about that turnover situation to kind of raise our bass fishing IQ. But right now it's time to raise really our technical IQ with Mark Negus on this week's Tech Minute presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. 
Next up is a guest whose partial brain scan took three pages to contain. He is the chief chemist <laughs> at Lucas Oil Products, Mark Negus, host of this week's Tech Minute, presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Brian from St. Louis, Missouri writes, I have a lot up at Truman Lake. I'm assuming that's a parcel of land. I keep my camper and boat there year-round. The UV rays from the sun do more damage on my tires than the few miles I drive them each year. I was told if I keep them coated with Lucas Oil Slick Mist tire and trim, this would prevent further damage. Is this true? Uh, yes, it is true. The uh, Slick Mist tire and trim shine uh, actually has a UV inhibitor built into it. So by keeping the tires treated with the product, it will prevent the UV rays from causing it to brown out, causing it to crack, causing it to dry up. So it's always a good idea to treat your tires on a regular basis. As long as you keep them a nice shiny look, then it will prevent the UV rays from damaging your tires during storage periods. Well, Brian, it definitely looks like you're going to be needing some slick mist and you'll be looking a lot better too. Stay with us, Bass Edgers. We are just getting lubed up. This is FLW Cup going with Kemp, Brian News. Stay right here with Bass Edge Radio. Two fishermen came together with one agenda. To construct bass boats superior in design and build. With a flawless finish. With our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride. Extreme rough water just doesn't exist. We're not just building a boat, we're building a legend. Legend Boats. Bass Edge Nation, welcome back for the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. We're bringing you a Bass Edge veteran and most importantly, the runner-up of the 2014 Forestwood Cup, Scott Canterbury. Thanks for stopping back by to chat with us, Scott. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for everything y'all do, Kurt and Aaron and the Bass Edge, the whole Bass Edge group. Appreciate everything. Well, Scott, it's hard to believe, but nearly two years to the date that we chatted last time here on Bass Edge, episode 157 back in September of 2012. And we had you reminiscing of another runner-up finish at the 2012 Cup at Lake Lanier and discussing ways to catch some fall bass. Seemed as if your pattern last month at the Forestwood Cup on Lake Murray was right on target. Yeah, I mean, it really worked out really well. Um, You know, it was a tough tournament. The practice was really tough on me, and I had a couple of different things going, but I wasn't really concrete on anything. And the second day of the tournament, I really figured it out and was able to run with it. And, you know, I just came up just a little bit short, but I was really pleased with the way I fished and uh, the ability to adapt and make changes on the fly, and everything just worked out really good. Well, Lake Murray's known as a blueback herring lake. Did that factor in, or can you describe to our listeners what that means to you and how that affects the bass behaviors there, and did that require, you know, adaptation with the blueback herring factoring in? Yeah, you know, we don't fish a lot of the blueback lakes. You know, the local guys, that live on those lakes really have that dialed in. And that's what I went over for, and that's what I pre-fished for, is trying to figure out how to catch those fish on the bluebacks because they're just a lot healthier fish. The bluebacks give those fish so many opportunities to feed, and there's so many bluebacks. The only thing about those blueback herring is they're there one day and they're gone the next. On that lower end of the lake, those deep clear lakes like Murray and Lanier and all the lakes that have those blue backs, you know, you may be on a big school of fish on a point one day and be able to catch them every cast, and you go back to 
next day and the bluebacks are gone. They just travel. They roam a lot and the fish sort of chase them. I mean, it makes it really, really hard to dial in on cover because the fish don't relate to cover. They would just chase those bluebacks all over the place. And, you know, that's what I went into it fishing for and I did fish for the fish chasing those bluebacks. So, I mean, I caught a four-pounder the first day doing that and ended up, you know, Anthony Gagley already wins the tournament and he was primarily targeting some of those blueback areas and that's how he ended up winning the tournament. But, you know, it sort of failed for me. You know, I, I was on a few places that had some bluebacks and caught a couple of fish, like I say, but, you know, it wasn't my primary target. And, you know, I seem to do better when I leave the bluebacks alone and just go fishing to my strengths and sort of stay shallow and get away from that. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that, Scott, you know, about your strategies in the event. Obviously, you know, you discussed a little bit about the bluebacks and then you kind of just mentioned you went and kind of did your own thing. I noticed your weights, as you kind of alluded to, they continue to increase and your ability to catch some larger bass continue to get more prevalent during the tournament as it progressed. What were the situations that you were able to identify that made those catches possible? Well, you know, I got out early during practice and stuff. You was able to get a lot more of those bites on that lower end. Those fish chasing bluebacks were really active really early in the morning, but we didn't blast off to 7 o'clock. So I ended up running down the lake and trying to get some of those bites the first day and caught a four-pounder and had to go way up the river the first day and caught a couple of fish flipping late in the day to get I only weighed in four fish for the second day I went back down the lake again still chasing those blueback fish and I never got a bite so like instead of keep staying with it at 9 30 I just went shallow and we had a super moon going on I mean it was like the closest the moon had been to the earth in four years and on a full moon primarily most of the times on a full moon in the summer months the crawfish hatch and it just sort of fell into place that I was fishing shoreline grass mainly but I sort of found out what I was looking for that second day of the tournament I didn't have a fish at 9 30 and I started running that grass and I catch one and it's in the shade you know but a lot of that shoreline grass up there has a moss that grows in the whole pocket the whole pocket has just a mossy bottom but if you get into another area it would have a clean gravel bottom in that grass and it just worked out that everywhere I caught a fish that day, I caught like nine keepers the second day and everywhere I caught one it had that clean bottom underneath that grass so I sort of figured out what I was looking for that day and was able to do pretty good the next morning instead of chasing those bluebacks I stayed shallow and went straight to that grass but I went to some different areas I found some of that same grass with that clean bottom early in the morning instead of missing that early bite early in the morning I got that bite going and I was able to catch the third day I mean I had like 13 or 14 pounds by 9 o'clock and I hadn't made a cast shallow before 9 o'clock earlier in the tournament and that really gave me a lot of confidence and then I went flipping the rest of that day and you know I flipped up a couple and I was able to get up to 16 pounds so I really knew what I was looking for and I was able to eliminate a lot of water I sort of ran out of that grass that I was looking for in the area of the lake that I was looking for and had to just look for new water every day and you know I wasted some time pulling into some pockets that didn't have that clean bottom and you'd already stopped so you'd fish a few minutes but if I ever could pull into a place and it had that clean bottom it seemed like I was able to catch a fish or two so it was a uh, definitely a key and all the fish that I caught were fitting up crawfish in the live wells and out flipping like a fish and they would he would just spit out tentacles all over the front of the boat and that really helped wow. me key in on what I was looking for. Yeah you know you talked a little bit obviously about the forage what kind of techniques were you using were you just flipping a jig what kind of techniques were you isolating in that grass where you felt like those fish were feeding on those crawfish? I caught most of my fish probably 80 percent of the fish I caught on a buzz bait it's a prototype buzz bait that I've come up with and in that shallow water I mean if you bring it across a fish and he's wanting to eat it really didn't seem like you had to slow down because 
there wasn't a whole lot of fish up shallow, but when you got around one, they would choke whatever you were throwing. So I threw that buzz bait just so I could cover more water. I did catch a few fish on a swim jig from Dirty Jigs Tackle, and I had a uh, evil twin trailer on it, and I dipped the tails red in it, just trying to match the hatch on those crawfish. The crawfish were really, really bright red, but the buzz bait I was throwing was just primarily white, and I did catch, you know, some key fish all week on a jig, that Dirty Jig Tackle, and just a pitching jig, a half-ounce pitching jig. And that was my three baits of choice, you know. I mean, I caught that fish on the bluebacks the first day on the top water and stuff, but my baits of choice were definitely a, you know, it's a prototype buzz bait from Punisher Lures that we've got coming out, and then a swim jig from Dirty Jigs Tackle, and a pitching jig from Dirty Jigs Tackle. Well, one thing I want to point out there, Scott, that almost gives me goosebumps and really a, a tweetable moment when we talk about adaptation, and you'd mentioned, you know, looking for these bare areas in these pockets that's filled with moss, and then you said you kind of ran out of that and had to go looking for new water each day during the tournament. That's adaptation to its best, and I think that's what separates guys like yourself and Kurt from the rest of us that's out here on the weekends, you know, kind of figuring it out. You're not scared to go out and look for something new, even if it's in the midst of one of the biggest tournaments of your career. Yeah, this one really, really worked out for me, and I learned a lot from this tournament and wish that I was fishing another one this week, because I could go back to an area where I previously caught them earlier in the week and never get a bite. I mean, I never caught a fish the whole tournament in an area that I had previously caught a fish, so the only way for me to catch one was to go to New Waters, and that was hard to do, fishing for $500,000. I would catch myself going back to the same areas, and man, I'd just know that I'd get a bite, and you wouldn't get a bite, so it made it a lot easier after I'd go fish two or three of the primary areas that I really had a lot of confidence in and not get a bite to go somewhere else and look and just keep looking. I mean, I went to places I'd never been in my life, never even went to during practice, and that's where I ended up catching my fish throughout the tournament. Wow, that's good stuff right there. And kind of shifting gears now, we saw one of the biggest bags of the cup taken offshore, and certainly you have demonstrated in the past that you prefer staying shallow, but you're not scared to get off the banks at all. Did you target any offshore bass in practice for the cup? And then really the second part of the question is, what was it that you tried to identify as likely places to fish? Yeah, I did target some of the offshore fish, you know, and that's what I ended up chasing the first day up until like 12 o'clock. I spent a lot of time doing that. And the second day I did it till 9.30 and didn't have a fish. The first day I had a four-pounder out deep. But key areas that I was looking for, I mean, it's a big lake, and I was just looking for long tapering points because it's such a deep lake on that lower end or humps that had, you know, 15 to 20 feet on top of them. And I would fish the corners of those humps. And the biggest key to looking for those areas was I would just, you know, use your electronics and idle around and find brush piles. Cane was a big thing over there on Lake Murray. People put out a lot of cane. I never caught any fish in any of the cane, but I was able to get some bites in some of the brush piles. And uh, that was how I caught the four pounder the first day was over a brush pile. It's like on my second stop and really thought I had something going doing that. And it just didn't play out the way I was expecting it to. But that's all I did was fish for the tapering points and the humps and try to find some brush piles and stuff on them. There was a lot of guys that caught fish doing that if you stuck with it all day. But after I fished four or five or six brush piles and don't get a bite, I had a lot more confidence going shallow. Well, that makes complete sense. You know, Scott, all of us start talking about ledge fishing or deeper water fishing once the uh, early, late June process starts coming and the water temp starts heating up. But we don't hear as much about shallow presentations. And, and there were certainly a lot of fish caught. Your fish caught most of them shallow in, in this late summer type pattern. Are there specific lakes that you feel like set up for this type of scenario with the shallow water techniques working a little bit better in this late summer period? Mostly. I mean, all lakes set up a little bit different, but every lake, no matter where 
we go throughout all over the country. There's enough fish living shallow to catch some pretty good fish each and every day. But the scenario is set up a lot different on each and every lake. If we go to the Tennessee River or any of the big river systems that have current and stuff, and those fish that set up on those particular areas, specific spots like shell beds or the corners of ditches running out into the main river channels, those fish that set up and you can graph them really good, you can't hardly compete fishing shallow. I mean, you can go catch fish shallow, but you can't compete to win. So, you know, anywhere like the Tennessee River, we fished three or four tournaments on the Tennessee River this summer, and, you know, I really fell in love in the last couple of years with learning your electronics and fishing that deep structure, because you just catch a lot more fish. You know, in the summertime, there's always fish living shallow, but there's just not the numbers up there shallow that there are out deep. But these clear water lakes, and when it's tough, like it was at Murray and Lanier, I mean, I was able to catch a lot of fish a few years back at Lanier shallow as well as deep, but those clear water lakes, and there's brim on the bed, and we had a full moon with those crawfish hatching, and it just brings some of those fish that are shallow. It makes them a little more active and a little easier to catch, so I love fishing shallow. That's my primary strength throughout my career and what I grew up doing, but there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, I'm getting off the question a little bit, but I've really, really been addicted the last few years to fishing deep and learning those electronics, but your question was specific lakes and you know those river systems seem to set up better for deep fishing in general gotcha well that makes a whole lot of sense gives a lot of our listeners a good guide to be able to attack different types of lakes shallow or deep depending on how they set up so real quick we're going to take a little break we're going to be right back with more from flw pro angler scott canterbury here on bass edge radio The next time you need auto parts and accessories, trust O'Reilly Auto Parts. Our professional parts people know what it takes to get the job done right. Professional technicians have counted on O'Reilly Auto Parts for decades. It's all part of our service commitment to you and what sets us apart. Come see for yourself at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oil Angler Spotlight returns with FLW Cup runner-up Scott Canterbury. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. All right, Scott, here's the deal. You've been through this drill before two years prior. I'm trying to bring out a little bit of the emotion that goes through an angler when you're waiting in the bag line to weigh your fish. You know everything's super tight. I mean, top five ended within, I think, 11 ounces. Uh, you've been down this road before, a chance to win the cup, 500000 bucks. Describe to our listeners what goes through your mind at this point. There's no way to describe what goes through your mind and words to everybody when you're fishing for that kind of money. But to me, it's not just the money because, I mean, you know, I fish because I love the sport. And, I mean, you know, we fish for the money because we got to have it to survive. But just to win one of those championships, you know, we can spend the money throughout our life, but they never take that championship away. So there's so much that is going through my mind. I didn't think it was going to be that close. I knew that I had a pretty good bag going into it. I knew that I was missing a kicker fish and, you know, I had my opportunities that day to catch a kicker fish, and I knew if I caught that fish that I would have won the tournament. 
Kennedy's didn't fish clean the last day. But everybody was talking about this big bag that Steve Kennedy had. I mean, he showed out that last day and caught 20 pounds. A lot of people were saying that he had close to 22. So I thought that he had it won going into it, and I wasn't nervous or anything. I was thinking I was going to finish fourth place or something like that. And then he was the first to weigh in. When he had 20 pounds, I was doing the math in my head. I thought that I had that. I thought that I had enough to take over the lead again. Well, Casey Ashley tied him. Gets down to my turn to weigh in. And, you know, I don't know what any of the guys ahead of me have. I know that I talked to Anthony Gagliardi, and he said that he had a dead fish, and he didn't have that much. But, you know, we don't know what they have. So, I mean, it's nerve-wracking as it can possibly be when you're fishing for that kind of money and the emotions. Well, I get pretty emotional anyhow just thinking about it, but it's just because I love the sport that much and you know I weighed in and took the lead and when my weight showed up everybody thought that Steve Kennedy had it won and he was in the tie for the lead at the time that I weighed in and I overcame him by 11 ounces and everybody was thinking that he had it won so for a few minutes there I thought that they really really had a chance but you know you never you can't get too excited because you know I still had three guys to weigh in behind me and uh, you know they're all great fishermen you know we're fishing against the best in the world so I was looking forward to those next guys weighing in and it just turned out that I got edged out by an ounce. Let me take you back real quick. You're thinking about a couple of those fish that you had an opportunity. You mentioned that you didn't fish clean and not trying to rub salt in any kind of wound here, but really want to try and utilize that to teach our listeners what could you have done differently when you look back about maybe a fish you lost or an opportunity that didn't go your way that you could have changed a little bit that maybe would have helped your outcome. The biggest thing I think I should have done was the first day of the tournament. I only weighed in four fish, and I had 10 pounds. I had you know, some pretty decent fish, but I went shallow at 12 o'clock that first day, and I, I wish I would have went shallow at 10 o'clock. If I would have went shallow at 10 o'clock, it would have given me two more hours to catch another fish, and I'm sure that I could have caught one. I just waited around a little bit too long, and, you know, I had a four-pounder early, and if you catch a couple of them, you know you're going to be in the hunt to win the tournament. You couldn't win on day one, but you could definitely lose the thing on day one, so I wish that I went shallow a little bit early or, you know, I fished shallow long enough. I just didn't figure out exactly what I was looking for that first day. I fished the last three days strictly on fishing my gut instinct. You know, I'd pull into an area and if I didn't like it, I wouldn't even make a cast. I mean, it was strictly on gut instinct and just running and gunning cover that I thought I needed to be on. And, you know, I fished as hard as I could fish. And, you know, I fished really clean the first three days. I didn't miss a fish. There were some opportunities the first day that just fell into my lap and it worked out. I mean, I was flipping up the river the first day and I go to set the hook well, I go to make another flip, what it is, and I've got my finger on the line, and one hits it. So I set the hook real quick, but my line breaks in my reel, and I catch my line before it gets through my guides on my rod with my hand and, and land that fish holding my line, and it's broke from my reel. I'm holding the line and holding the rod in the right hand and land that fish. It's a two-and-a-half-pounder. So, you know, I fished really good that tournament. The last day I did lose a five-pounder, but nobody's going to catch every fish that bites. There's just no way. That's right. Good stuff. That's a great story about your kind of hand-lining that fish in after it bust off. Matter of fact, the uh, first big tournament that I ever fished was a BASS event down on the St. John's River, and the very first fish I caught in that tournament was exactly like you described. I was throwing a pop bar, and my line broke in the reel, and I ended up being able to catch that line 
before the fish swim too far off and, and hand line my, it wasn't a big fish, but my big tournament, the first fish. So, uh, brings back right. a lot of memories that's, for me too. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's something that, you know, a lot of people don't think about is, and I did that exact same thing you're talking about in an Everstart that I won a few years back on you fall. I catch like a six pounder and it breaks my line and my line shooting across the top of the water and I get it. But that one had made it out of the boat. This one never made it past the first guy out on the rod when I caught it. And that's maybe been the first time that's ever happened to me and I caught it that quick. But, you know, I was really blessed a couple of weeks ago was able to catch almost every fish that did except for that last day. And I'll never forget that big one. It was just the way that he hit. And I set the hook hard. It just, I'm sure the angle of the fish, he was going away from me. Just like when you flip those mats at Okeechobee, you flip into a mat that never slows down. That fish is going away from you. You're not going to land them all. When they come out and come towards you, you catch every one of them. But when they're going away from you, your line's going past his head, back into his mouth, and you just don't get a good hook in them always. It'd be interesting if we had a heart monitor on you guys when that happened, because that would be a, a study in itself. And, you know, you've kind of echoed, Scott, the thing that uh, the terms that we talk so much about here on Bass Edge, and that comes to decision making. So taking that a, a step further, if you get to choose one bait to attack the water in, say, September, late September, and all of October, what would it be and why? It's hard for me to choose one bait. You know, growing up, and I mean, until I went pro, there would be no questions asked about it. It would be a jig. I fished a jig year-round in Alabama. I mean, I'd start a tournament at daylight with a jig and never get anything else out. But going to different lakes, going all over the country, I mean, if I just had to choose one bait to take with me, there's no way I couldn't take a shallow square bill crankbait with me just so I could cover more water and you can sort of figure them out. You can fish the same cover as you can with a jig because that square bill will come through cover really good. You know, you can use heavy line on a square bill. So if I had one bait to choose to do in the fall and those fish are chasing, you know, getting ready to feed up for winter and just eating as much as they can eat and they're eating shad and shad are heading back in the backs of creeks, it would be a square bill crankbait. Let's take it one step further. What color square bill crankbait? I use a shad color a lot, a ghost manna or a, you know, a ghost manna or a sexy shad and an Aska jackal square bill crankbait. All right, there you go. That's good stuff. Well, here's another interesting question that I really like to pose to our top pros that we have here on Bass Edge. And if you could receive really or tap into the skill set of another pro on the FLW Tour, or any tour for that matter, to add to your existing skill set, who would it be and why? Man, that's a really tough question, you know. One of the guys that are best in the world at fishing offshore, and I mean, one, first one that comes to hand to me is Mark Rose. Just be his skill of, you know, using those electronics would be the biggest thing. Finding those fish offshore is the hardest thing. Once you find them, catching them's not that big a deal. But somebody that's got skills to be able to find them has really, really been blessed, and they have a special talent. I've got a lot better at it. I'm nowhere near as good as some of the guys out there doing that, but I have really, really gotten a lot better at it over the past couple of years. I put my time in, and I plan on putting a lot more time in. But when you get good at that, it boils down to making top tens, especially on the river system, Tennessee River, and any of the lakes that you know you're fishing offshore. I mean, it's not just Tennessee River, but we fish the Tennessee River a lot, and it's just one of the best fisheries in the country. It just keeps coming to mind. But any of these lakes that are fishing offshore, when you get to where you can see them, see those fish out there on your side imaging, 60, 80 feet away from the boat, you don't even have to idle over them. It's a special skill. 
Gill. And, I mean, that's what comes to mind to me is someone like Mark Rose. All right, guys. It's time for the O'Reilly Auto Parts, the professional parts people listener question segment. Today's $100 gift card winner is Blaine Myers, who posed this question on our Bass Edge Facebook page. Blaine asks, how do you pre-fish for a tournament out on the water? Do you actually try to catch fish or just mark fish? To me, you know, it boils down to what type of fishery it is. If you're fishing like Lake Murray, man-made lake, or a lake that's going to be tough fishing, you know, I try to find areas. Like I was telling you, the way that tournament went, I mean, you go catch fish on Thursday, and I'm talking about not just a one log or something. I mean a pocket that's a half-acre pocket on the left-hand side going in. It's in the shade. You go down through there, and you catch two or three fish. You go back Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and hit that same stretch. You don't catch another fish. So if it's a lake that's going to be tough fishing, you know, I just try to find areas and get some bites, not necessarily catch them, try to get some bites. But if you're on, coming back to that Tennessee River, you're on Gunnersville, Kentucky Lake, Pickwick, Chickamauga, any of these rivers that have huge, huge numbers of fish, and the fishing is just unbelievably good, and it's going to take 24 pounds a day to win, and everybody's going to have 15 pounds, you have to catch fish. Because, I mean, I can mark them on that side imaging a little bit, and I can really mark them on the down imaging, and you can find them that way. And they're easy to catch, but you got to know if you're catching three pounders or you're catching four and a quarter pounders or three pounders or three and a half pounders if you go to Champlain. You go to Champlain or Lake St. Clair, you can't go up there and be happy you're catching 40 fish a day and you're getting five that'll weigh 16 pounds. Yeah, you might get a check, but you're not going to be in the hunt to win. If you lose one or two, you're not even going to get a check. So you can't be happy with catching those three, three and a quarter pounders up north. You got to catch four pounders. And just like the Tennessee River, you can't be happy with those three and a half and three and three quarter pounders. You got to be able to catch the four to five pounders. You got to have a kicker every day. So you got to know what quality of fish you're on as well. Well, there's no doubt, Scott, my Lorenz Electronics have uh, humbled me many times because one thing about it, you still got to catch them even though you can see them. Blaine, thanks for sending in that question, and congratulations for having it chosen to be heard on the show. Be sure to send us an email letting us know that you got the answer from Scott, and we will get your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card sent out to you shortly. And Bass Edge listeners, we want to keep hearing from you. Continue to send in those questions and comments to us via our email address, support at BassEdge.com, or through our Facebook page and Twitter handle. And remember, always include your name and hometown. Well, hey, Scott, once again, as always, truly a pleasure having you on the show and hanging out with you today. Before we get out of here, any closing thoughts to leave with the listeners of Bass Edge Radio? All the good listeners out there, you know, just have confidence in what you're doing. There's so many different ways to catch fish everywhere we go. Just have confidence in what you're doing and have fun. And I'm sure that, you know, everything will work out and you'll catch a lot of fish. Well, Scott, I look forward to seeing you win that cup one day. Good luck. In 2015, Bass Edge Radio will be back after this short break. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com.
tell you, it's a little bit almost like Groundhog Day to Deja Vu having Scott Canterbury, FLW runner-up champion from two years ago, and now he's on again talking about the very same thing. Kind of a little eerie. Definitely eerie. You know, as far as his pocketbook, I feel for the guy, but uh, there's nothing wrong with finishing second place in the Forcewood Cup pays well and that just means you caught him better than most everybody except for one guy and let's face it when you put yourself in that situation to be successful you just got to have that right thing go your way i feel like it's going to come down the road for scott canterbury well he has certainly flirted with championship status and i mean the guy obviously just listening to him now twice talking about this talking about decision making and you know adaptability and all of the things that he's mentioned in these last two interviews just want to encourage everybody that listened to episode 192 to go back to his previous episode from two years ago and catch that one because you blend these two together and you will fully understand of why he has finished runner-up twice and he is certainly knocking on the door of that championship. Yeah, versatility key for Scott Canterbury, no question. We talked a little bit earlier about some fall transition. Similar to the way several of the guys caught him in the cup, Aaron, I feel real good fishing shallow and uh, I think that's probably the best way to attack the waters this time of year because those fish are leaving deep water and you're always wanting to fish areas where they're coming to so uh bass edge listeners let's maybe stay away from that offshore stuff and let's start beating the bank as we start catching some of these fall fish coming up here in the next few weeks aaron that's it for today's show let's go fishing let's go get out there and get on that bank catch some of those fall fish bass edge nation i appreciate y'all being with us again here for episode 192 i am Kurt Dove for Aaron Martin and the rest of the Bass Edge staff. We'll see you next time. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.